Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's episode, Ian and I are joined by Danielle Binks. Danielle is an editor, book blogger, literary agent, and youth literature advocate. She edited and contributed to Begin and Begin, a Love Oz YA anthology of new Australian young adult writing by some of Australia's favorite YA authors and inspired by the grassroots hashtag Love Oz YA movement. The short story in Love Oz YA anthology is her first book publication and marks Banks as an emerging voice in the Australian YA landscape. In the media section, we chat about Wonder Woman, Aladdin, Killer Elite, and a few others. For the topic, we talk about the initiative of Love Oz YA and the reason for supporting local voices. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me on my email, mailbox at penofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are at the Brunswick Street Bookstore today, and I am joined by my co-host, Ian Laking. Ian, how are you going? Good, thanks, Joel. Great to be here. Yep. Staying warm. You peaked the mic. I picked the mic early, I know, right? <laughs> it, it, it's fine. It's go. absolutely fine. You start strong and then you mellow. That's true. This is just the way of podcasts. I'm like a lion's tour. I start out and just, you know, with a bang. Wow. I know, that's a really obscure wow. reference for anyone who isn't a Kiwi, who isn't a, a rugby fan. <laughs> that's so harsh. Basically, I couldn't talk to anyone about this, but anyway, yeah. that's. Fine. I liked it. Yeah, okay, good. Interior me was beaming. Good. Um... So how was your weekend? Yeah, pretty good. We haven't seen each other in about a month. No, it's been a while. It's so. been a long time. I, I, I'm having Joel withdrawal symptoms. It's I know. Good to be back here. I have Joel withdrawal symptoms sometimes. Do you? Yeah. It's when you sleep, right? No, it's when I don't look in the mirror for a very long time. Then I look and I'm like, oh my well, goodness, that goodness that you're hideous. Happen very often. We've, yeah. we have shared a hotel room before. I can confirm. Yes. That I just <laughs> spend that 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. just That's looking right. in the mirror. There you go. See? Yeah. You disappear for a while. It's good. That's right. I'm a vampire. I don't actually show up on the reflection. <laughs> I did wonder about that. I just hadn't been meaning to say anything to you. It's weird. Me and Stephanie Meyer have been keeping it from you. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I'll forgive you. <laughs> anyway, we have a guest, a fantastic <laughs> guest today, My ladies guest. and gentlemen. We have Danielle Banks. Hi. How are you going? I'm going really well. Thank you so Welcome much for having me. Welcome to the me. podcast. What a great location as well. Mm. This is really nice, guys. It's fantastic. Bookshop. How's the it. chairs? Ugh. Comfy? Ugh, what was the cold. first five seconds of you sitting in the chair and being like, I can be here forever. Well, for a second, I was like, hold on, this is way too deep. Oh, no, wait, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's like a cold winter's night. Yes. And it's so cozy. I'm, yes. I'm in a bookshop. I feel mm. like just the coziest like I've ever been. Mm-hmm. It's true. Fantastic. You well, guys are so lovely. We'll make sure to rectify oh. that. Yeah. <laughs> God. We'll do our best. Oh, it's true. The Brunswick Street Bookstore is possibly the most like Melbourne experience in some ways you can you can get when it comes to books. You're surrounded by books, and every so often you're in a nice old comfy grungy chair, yeah. and occasionally a tram zooms by in the background dinging at someone. Yeah. You know, oh, we, we had a guest earlier on the podcast mm-hmm. before Danielle and Ian showed up. Mm. A lovely dog. Called huh? Indy, um, walked Aww. in and sat and looked at me and said, I'm replacing Ian. Okay. And uh, I was totally okay with okay. it. Yeah. I tweeted about this is a real thing. Ian. Really? This is a real I thing. Check my Twitter. You that's, should. That's also very Melbourne is like dogs in bookshops. Yeah, Just a true. random. Bookshops really encourage dogs. Yeah. They love it. It's true. I'm not kidding. Melbourne is this a real thing? Dogs. Oh okay. my God, yes. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, they love the, it. The homeliness of it, you know? I've had this happen to me once, and that was today. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. interesting. I did not know that. Look at any book, like Melbourne Bookshop's Instagram feed, and it's just dogs. dogs. A dog comes in, and people lose their minds. I was actually in the Younger Son Bookshop <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, in Yarraville the other day, mm. and somebody ran into the shop and said, there's a dog birthday party happening across the street. They have party hats on. And I swear <laughs> to God, it was a mass exodus from the shop. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Even, even like the bookstore the owners and everyone, the staff, were like, no, nah, leave the books. Just go, go, go. <laughs> Literature isn't important <laughs> anymore. <laughs> there were literally dogs in party hats. That is important, though. That was incredible. amazing. What about cats? Do cats get much love in bookstores? Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of cats as well. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I was, I've been both. I've been a cat owner and a dog owner, and I liked myself as both. I yeah. think, and this is just my assumption, <laughs> is that writers in general mm. love cats. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of writers do love cats. It could be, ooh, I don't want to. You have a very good-looking cat. I do. Have, yeah, we have two cats. They don't get along though, but they are very good-looking cats. 
And you named like one of them birds. Thor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one's Thor. Oh, that's a good name. Thor actually comes and sits next to me on a right. It's true. He comes that's up to the study name. and he'll look out the window and uh, and I'll be writing. It's nice. Let me ask you though, would you ever put a party hat on Thor? Yeah. If Is he I... ripped like Crims, uh, Crims Hemsworth? Chris, yeah, Chris Crims Hems- Hemsworth. Crims Hemsworth. I don't know if I'd put a party hat on him. but He'd, he'd uh, rip you up. He'd rip you to shreds. He would rip you to shreds. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's Any true. cat would. <laughs> it's true. Hmm. It. I, I do say that probably more entertaining than Ian is his cat. The the video of you, your cat trying to figure out the uh, yeah. um, stare. Yeah, that's true. Stairs. Gold. My cats, are, my cats are very entertaining. It's true. I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you can tell that I have degenerated to this subhuman level where now I'm looking at cat videos and I'm just, this is my life now. I'm sorry. This is what happens when you're on the internet for its as long as this is okay. we've all been there yeah we've all it's been okay. there well i'll <laughs> dig myself out of this tunnel very soon um let's move on to our media section mm. and let's start with you ian mm. what have you been watching well it's been it's been a little while since i was uh well it feels like a little while since i've last on so mm-hmm. the, the highlights um i i got through the rest of unbreakable kimmy schmidt season mm-hmm. three hey it's really good you, joel you've you haven't no. watched no but oh, i love it um i don't like humor hmm don't like, don't like humor. Don't That's laugh. all right. Well, Joel, if you ever change your mind, mm-hmm. the Unbreakable Commission is really good. So good. Um, and uh, but what I really liked about the third season was that um, it got a bit dark actually, and uh, but yeah. it handled it so well because like it had some really serious side comments thrown out there, and I always felt they never did it insensitively. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like Kimmy begins to deal with some of the stuff from being held captive in a bunker for however long, you know. Like yeah. it actually comes up, and you're like, wow, that's pretty challenging to get a show that is very funny and getting funnier in my opinion uh to actually get some really serious stuff put in there i was like wow that's interesting this is the season that i thought was going to be the first season when i first heard the sort of tagline for tina Fey was producing this new show about a woman that was um being held captive in a bunker by a like cult leader yeah like when i first read that this was going to be tina Fey's next project after 30 rock i was like Mm. this sounds freaking dark and then the first season really wasn't it was it was really funny and light and amazing this third season is more what i thought the first season was going to be like she she touched on things Mm. um in a really you're right in a really tender um appreciative Mm. way but yeah it's it's freaking amazing i love the show and that the the theme song is my favorite thing in the world it's one of my favorite memes i saw recently was something like, you know, anytime someone tells you to fast forward through that introduction, hell no, (laughs) no No one is fast forwarding through that. Um, It's brilliant. Uh, So really enjoyed that. Um, And following on, uh, watched a couple of old school movies. So I've been getting into lessons from the screenplay uh, recently, which if you haven't watched out there, folks, it's a great, um, after you've finished listening to the podcast, I would thoroughly recommend uh, Googling lessons from the screenplay YouTube series with um, really just great wisdom in terms of looking at and analyzing plot structure in movies. Um, And yeah, just done really thoughtfully and well. And, um, you know, I've been really enjoying that. Uh, watched a couple of old school movies with the thoughts in mind from that, uh, Deja Vu and Minority Report, which both held up really well uh, to rewatching, especially Minority Report. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I thought was worth noting that I've been watching was uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. <gasps> which was great. Let's let's yeah. talk Wonder Woman, shall we? Yeah. Um, we haven't had a, a superhero movie discussion in a while because mm-hmm. I guess there hasn't been a superhero movie to talk not, about. Yeah, not really. Uh, so let's do it. Uh, so let's put a spoiler mm-hmm. warning. Yep, spoiler warning for for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this? Daniel? I have. All right. I saw Wonder Woman. I it was a big deal for me. I think it's a big deal mm. for any, um, any uh, woman watching Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we've all collectively all women all the women got together and were like, hold on, <laughs> they did Green Lantern and Ant Man. Yeah. Uh, but they've taken this long. I know that's like mixing uh, DC and Marvel, but like it that's took right. this long to do Wonder Woman, <laughs> and even then the studio apparently didn't really think it was going to do that well. Ooh. So they didn't mm, sign Patty no. Jenkins up and like lock her in for a second film like those idiots yeah that's ridiculous but no it was it was a big deal for me i got very teary i i i still feel like i can kick ass because i watched gal gadot (laughs) kick ass um yep uh, I've heard a rumor today that the next film is going to be set in the 80s. Yes, I oh, saw that. Yes, yeah. please. I was like, Diana in shoulder pads, yes, please. That would be so good. I can see that working on so many levels. My mind is exploding right yeah. now. That's great. I would love that. But, I mean, I thought Wonder Woman was a great palate cleanser after the atrocity that is just Superman and Batman v Superman. <gasps> and no. I hate them all. <gasps> I, just can't. I can't tell you how much I hate them. I just, <gasps> I, Henry Cavill just irks me <laughs> like nobody else. <laughs> Like that man yeah. just 
oh, makes my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us what you really think <laughs> about, about and, Superman. You know, yep. sticking, sticking him in spandex does not improve upon any sort of situation. Uh-huh. And just... Go on. Batman v Superman. What was the freaking mother's name? I can't remember. It was so bad. Mother. Was it? I, I have not mother. seen mother. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't, we no. had a great uh, therapy session with Jay about uh, uh, Mother. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I just yeah. can't. Um, I I can't bring myself to watch it because oh. because I really loved uh, Nolan's Batman so much. Yes. I just can't Amen. bring myself to to watch that. Amen. So you know, uh, but Wonder Woman. You're right. It was refreshing, um, oh, and so I think good. it's refreshing because it doesn't really. Um, uh, it used some interesting techniques, which I liked, mm-hmm. um, and as it should be, there's nothing to distinguish. Like this movie was not. Worse because female direct a female directed it and mm. a female lead and great strong female characters like it was fantastic yeah it completely superseded uh, Batman and Batman vs Superman and it set the new standard yeah for DC movies quite frankly so like I'm, I'm such a Marvel girl but this one nearly made me into a DC girl mm. like in a big way yeah mm. yeah so I mean it, it was and it, I thought it was well done in terms of it didn't really. Uh, yeah, and a good good twist in terms of the the bad guy and that kind of thing. So yeah. without giving anything away, so I'm not going to totally spoil it. Yeah, um, I like it's Aries, it right? Hey, yeah, Aries. But okay. the way it was done was, yeah. was good. I'm and just assuming because of the comics, so I'm like, surely it's Aries, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they did lean into the Greek mythology, which people have always said that's yeah. why it hasn't been adapted, is because it's so hard to tell oh, her origin story. And it's like, no, it wasn't. You do a an I mean, you can do Thor. You know, you can do it. Thor. Yeah, Thor is can do Thor. And Odin. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, I mean, shut up. I think Greek mythology is pretty damn cool. So, I—I yeah. I mean, it's the basis. It's—it's it's kind of the inspiration for any comic book, isn't it? Like an origin story. Yeah, it's all mm-hmm. sort of you know, riffing on Greek mythology in some capacity. Yeah, um, comic books are modern myths, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Superman, um, Superman is like the modern modern American, you know, Gilgamesh. mythological. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the fact that they that for so long, so many studios were like oh, we can't do Wonder Woman. It's too hard telling her origin story. Nobody really knows what it is. They know that she has like a golden lasso. That's about mm. it. It's like, shut up, sit down. Yeah. And then Patty Jenkins comes along and just nails it. Yeah, absolutely. Smashed it out of the park. Um, And my favorite meme out of it was the, uh, was it Buttercup Princess Bride went on to become uh, the general? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Robin Wright was in Yeah, the, Robin Wright. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I like that. You know, if the princess can become, you know, I love that. Can go from being rescued to being that. That was great. So, more power to it. Love, mm. Loved Wonder Woman and Fantastic. super pumped for whatever comes next. I, yes. I'm looking forward to seeing it, actually. Um, yeah, it's probably the first DC movie in a while that I'm looking forward to see. But um, awesome. Mm. Danielle, what have you been watching? Uh, well, you're lucky that I'm here tonight because I've been really enjoying mm. TV-wise Ronnie Chang, International Student on ABC. Oh. I love it. It's so funny. Uh, Ronnie Chang, who's now uh, on The Daily Show in America. Busy. He's doing amazing things. And he's also in the movie adaptation of the Kevin Kwan Crazy Rich Asians movie, which is just rap filming. So Ronnie Chang is one of our amazing exports mm-hmm. at the moment. And International Student is incredible. Yep. Uh, I've also been enjoying Clever Man on ABC. Mm-hmm. God, I sent such a such a shill for ABC. No, it's okay. I do love ABC. Don't cut funding. Hashtag sponsored by the ABC. <laughs> um, but I'm actually going to go see Spider Man on Sunday, so I haven't I seen Homecoming ask. yet, and I'm really excited yeah, for it. Seeing it, no, but no, no. Um, oh, I'm seeing it Friday. Yeah, I'm seeing it Sunday, so I'm really, I'm really, really. I won't tweet you any spoilers. Again, I'm a Marvel girl, so I'm, I'm, I'm there for Marvel. I've heard it's good. I've yeah. heard it's very good. I've heard also Michael Keaton is Michael Keaton. He'll be great, I'm sure. And that's what I'm looking for. I don't mind Michael Keaton. No, I'm okay. I with quite that. like Michael Keaton. I adore Michael Keaton. <laughs> I love him. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> he's, he's my Batman. As yeah, well. yeah, that's you true. Just do his weird smile, and I'm in. Yeah, I'm, I'm in all the totally way. Totally there. Yeah. Um, but then the thing that's not a movie or a TV show that I saw recently mm-hmm. was I went and saw Aladdin, the uh, oh. the musical. The other How night. was that? I really loved it, even though. It probably had a weak third act. Oh, like, really? They oh, had yeah. really big numbers in the Cave of Wonders and a whole new world flying mm. carpet. Like the carpet actually flies. Yeah. It's incredible. That's but cool. then you sort of wait for a third big number because things come in threes and, yeah. you know, Prince Ali wasn't quite as big as. So mm. I was waiting for a, a third big number. I still really loved it. But then today I've sort of been reading through the news today that the live action movie mm. that's in the works. With Guy Ritchie. Yes. With. Yep. For some goddamn reason, Guy, Guy Ritchie. Ritchie directing isn't oh, yeah. isn't able to find an Aladdin. 
Yeah, lead. Why was that? Just because apparently he wants it to be Dev Patel or Riz Ahmed, mm-hmm. and if they don't take the role, then he's like, I can't find anyone. And I love the fact that Twitter is not here for that. No, they're not here for there being only two uh, actors of color who could possibly play Aladdin. Uh, and and somebody really funnily said there's an entire continent that has a booming Bollywood yeah. <laughs> industry and you can't find somebody who can act, dance and sing. Mm. Are you kidding me? Um, but m- my big thing is why is Guy Ritchie directing a lot? You know, the, the weird thing is Guy Ritchie got to eat kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. And I think that's mm. why he's directing the movie. Mm. All cynicism aside, I um, – well, now I'm becoming more cynical, weirdly <laughs> enough mm. – uh, King Arthur was awful, right? Oh my god, right. it was so directed bad. by by Guy Ritchie, and I was so like, "Why bad. is he directing King Arthur?" Yeah, maybe he's passionate about it, and he was talking mm. about it, and and quite um, educated about the mythos. Yeah, so it's not like he didn't care. Yeah, but it was awful anyway. Um, <laughs> and we went into great length talking about this film, so we will not do that again. Um, and then he said, "You know, he's moving on to Aladdin because it's something he wants to tackle." Mm. Now mm. I like Riz Ahmed and. Def Patel. Yeah. I like them. I love them, yeah. And the thing is, I I won't defend Guy Ritchie because I didn't like King Arthur, so mm. he's, he's broken my heart uh, and I'll never defend yeah. him, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, I can, I can wrap my head around the idea of writing in a role for someone, right? right? Yeah. So if you write in a role for a particular actor and you're yeah. like, this is his, his personality mm. and I write the role in and you mm. write it for these two particular people... And if they don't play it, eh, I can understand it. Well, you know? I, I think this is Guy Ritchie's, one of his biggest faults as a director is he tends to gravitate towards actors over story. Like, you know, he mm. goes for like Absolutely. the Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. or the Madonna. Exactly. Like the in all his movies, <laughs> yeah. it's an ensemble cast or not but, at all, right? But my yeah. big thing is a Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin is going to be all <laughs> muted greys and blues yeah. and greens. And Aladdin is like dual tones right. for one thing, yeah. which sounds cliche, but it actually is. Like, come on. I guarantee you it will be a cocky, brash, oh. like yeah. lovable, hey. chummy right. Aladdin dude. This like, is my thing. I know I can, I know why Guy Ritchie did this. <laughs> I know why he did okay. this. Okay. Yeah, Following on from King Arthur, because it's about street urchins who become kings, yep. you know, uh, and one of them, becomes a king via a lamp and the other mm. one becomes a king via a sword. Mm-hmm. They both get there and they're both, you know, King Arthur has Merlin, yeah. Aladdin has Genie. Yeah. Like there are actually similarities yeah. between King Arthur and Aladdin. But mm. I do not want mm. Guy Ritchie touching Aladdin. I think no. I think he will just wreck it. And I think already he's become attached to the idea of a devil or a Yeah. And if he doesn't get them, I think the whole thing will just collapse for him. Because he can't yep. put his head around mm. you know, not having a, a lovely British actor who he adores to to you know and i think that's his thing on. right like yeah. i think he just yeah. loves the lovely british actor and you know yeah. all power to him but i, I i'm kind of weirded out by the idea that i why he's doing aladdin yeah i'm okay with it if it ends up to be great great just yep. count me a little cynical but about. you saw king arthur right like the thing is <laughs> i wonder <laughs> I, I wonder like if i wasn't the biggest king arthur like mythic trope mm fanboy mm. if I would have enjoyed the film. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. No. But I think I would have enjoyed it more than I did because I despise that oh movie for every inch in my body. <laughs> However, because I'm not a big Aladdin fanboy, even though I loved mm. you know mm. what they did in the um, animated, mm. um maybe I won't hate it as much. But that doesn't mean it's gonna be good. I'm I'm not a huge mm. like King Arthur um aficionado mm. or anything. But I mean I even prefer like the um Excalibur. Uh, no, the yeah. Last night. Uh, no, night. the Kira Knightley, Clive Owens. Yeah. King Ar- I prefer good. that. It was a good, yeah. solid movie. It's a I, bad King yeah. Arthur movie, but a good film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm somebody as well who gravitates more towards like the Lancelot and Guinevere tensions. Yeah. Uh, with that, oh my god, what's the name of the Richard Gere? Yeah, first Sean night. First night. First, yeah, I love that. Still love first um, Sean Connery. All of that was taken out of out of Guy Ritchie's. Yeah. And 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 the women were uh, appallingly treated in Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. Like they were all there as conduits for men's power, mm. and didn't have any backstory of their own, or they were just being killed by the men that they loved. Mm. And I and I don't want Guy Ritchie to get his hands on Jasmine. That sounds really awful. <laughs> <laughs> Not that oh, way. No, I know what you mean. But <laughs> you know, she's a strong ass princess who at the yeah. end of um spoiler alert, at the end of the theatre production, mm. her father basically says, You don't need to marry a royalty to be queen. Mm. I'm gonna let you rule mm. because you're an amazing woman. I'm mm. like, I don't think that's gonna be the end of Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. I yeah. just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <sighs> So that's yeah. That was, there we that go. Was my, I love the the theater production musical. Highly rate. Uh, mm. Cave of Wonders was incredible, but Guy Ritchie stay the hell away from 
Aladdin and Jasmine. <laughs> there you go. When is the estimated? Uh, what's the uh, release date? Right next uh, year. Is that I don't. I don't know because Beauty and the Beast years? obviously has mm. rollicked this all along. So I imagine they want it to come out quite quickly. But I've right. also heard that like King Arthur is the first in a planned six-part series. I'm not sure if that's six parts of the King Arthur oh, myth mercy. or if it's going to be. I don't know, other Arthurian I've heard, legends. I don't know. I've heard that uh, they, they're going to build a universe around the King Arthur so movie. So that'll be like a Lancelot, a Guinevere film. Yeah. That attristed. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think that they have started as low as one can possibly go. <laughs> There's nowhere the lower you can go. Yeah, yeah. So there must be an ascent. To, right? To be fair, Guys. Um, it, it often happens, and like this is why you never get to see, uh, without, I may have talked about this before, this is why you never get to see The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis made into a film, because they, there's six <laughs> movies, you need to make five good movies Spoilers. in a row, yeah. they all die. Yeah, I know, yeah. you five... <laughs> Wow, yeah. you just threw that out there, didn't you? <laughs> Anyone who didn't read Narnia, just spoilers. Yeah. The, the previous statement was full of spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How long has Narnia and like C.S. Lewis books been out for? Like, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. Spoilers I know. at this point. <laughs> but, I, um, <laughs> you know, you think about it, this is why. You, you, you had to have five good movies before yeah. you can get to my favourite book by far, yeah. and you can't get there because you had to do five decent movies, and normally they run out of steam. They're going to make yeah. uh, Silver Chair? They are making Silver Chair yeah, quite cool. soon. I'm learning quite a lot. That's I'm cool. so excited for that. Silver Chair. Silver Chair was yeah. one of the best. Silver Chair we'll is see. really dark. My thing is, I'm, I'm quite lucky because one of my favorite series has been adapted into a TV series, ah. and I think it's a lot, it's a lot easier to get like mm. um, full seasons going. So mine is Outlander, Diana right. Golden. Yeah. I'm loving the television series, which is it deserves all the hype. Mm. It is brilliantly done, and like my favorite book in the series is about number five or six, yep. and I think we'll get there. Because they're mashing sort of yeah. together. So I'm right. really lucky in that I think I'm going to see my favourite come to life. I, I think you're right. I think Outlander will get there. Yeah. It has a very strong following. Um, I, I sort of checked out after season one. I wasn't a big big fan, unfortunately. Um, but it's it's got its it's got its punchy moments. I'll give yeah. it that. It, it's got that. Yeah. Um, let's... Let's let's move on. <laughs> you knew I was about to say something. You're like, let's. Like, okay, let's, let's go. No, Ian. It's fine. I'll get back to I, it. I want to talk about my things now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so actually, let's do that. Um, I've got I've got two old movies because I don't watch new things apparently. Mm. Um, I watched Killer Elite, which is a film that came out a while back. Killer Elite. Yeah. Yeah, I know the name. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a film with Jason Statham. Good old Jason Statham. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of Guy Ritchie. It's a film with Guy Ritchie. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) No, it's a film with Robert De Niro, Jason Statham, Mm. and one of my favorite British actors, Clive Owen, who deserves all the praise he can get. Mm -hmm. And we just mentioned Speaking of King Arthur, the proper King Arthur, not not Jax slash Charlie Hunnam. (laughs) I know. Clive Owen is an underrated actor that... Where is he these days? He's in Valerian in like a third act role okay. he's like he'll show up and he's like I'm Clive Owen and then he's off and I'm like no come back but the mm-hmm. Killer Elite was one of those movies where it had a fantastic mm. first and second act mm. and I thought oh my goodness a good Jason Statham movie like mm. what um, what is this yeah it's like it's it's really interesting it has a has this weird aesthetic that reminds me of um, like Bullet and films that came out of you know the mm. the Steve McQueen era, mm. um, those heist movies, and and it had a real good gut to that film. Mm. And then the third act happened, and then it it you know went a little off rails. Yeah. It went to a very simple ending, yeah. like they just wanted to tie things together. Yeah. It it's um, apparently a directorial debut, um, mm. and. It was a strong debut, I'll, mm. I'll give him that. But, um, yeah, that third act really let it down, yeah. I think. It could have been a fantastic thriller. It's a um, British and Australian production, oh, so a lot of Australian actors That's cool. um, in there. Check it out. Um, mm. it's, it's kind of weird to hear Australian accents just pop up, and it's just <laughs> like, oh, that, that was weird. Um, but it's good. It, it's, a, if you, it's a solid film, uh, right. I think, in the end. The second film I half-watched because I thought... Maybe I mm. was too harsh on mm. it. Joel, maybe you were too harsh on Suicide Squad. Give it another uh, shot. You watch that again? Give it another shot. Uh, Let's watch the first 15 sorry, minutes of I, the film. Sorry, I sounded too concerned there. Okay, you watched it again. <laughs> how, how did that go? How are you feeling, Joel? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, temperature. Um, <laughs> it was honest. worse second time. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 
What a wow! What a shocker! <laughs> what, what a, a shocker! Shock. <laughs> oh. I am a glutton for punishment. You Speaking do know of this. Aladdin, I might die from all the shock. <laughs> wow! Ooh, anyway, yep. yes, that okay. was a bad film. <laughs> I, uh, my oh. favorite is it's one of those. Really? It was um, a great trailer ruined by mm. a bad movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, the, trailers. Yeah. the trailer was great. How the trailer was awesome. Queen, exactly. You, you stick Queen in there, and you're like, yeah, I'm it's like for it. it's like the King Arthur trailer. It had mm. Led Zeppelin in yeah. it, and I was like, this yep. is going to be a great film. That should be a signifier now that if you've yes. got like hardcore eighties like rock, yeah. that it's just going to be shit. Well, especially <laughs> since Led Zepp personally uh, approve every song that they're yes. um, that their music's used in. Mm. Don't tell me that every movie. Sorry, oh, Rise sure and Sorry, but no, Suicide Squad is. Yeah. It's garbage. It, Suicide Squad is hot garbage. It, 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 it's so remarkably bad that I cannot <laughs> believe a writer it would look at that script and say, you know what, I think people like this. You know what, though? I don't think it was necessarily the writer's room where it mm. fell down. It was the editor's. It, you know, like it was, it's been obviously yeah. so disjointedly edited by probably numerous people. Yes. And you yes. can tell. Like, you can tell that there are half-assed storylines that just fall off nowhere. Oh my I think God. the editors are to blame, mm. but I think I'm going to keep blaming the writers. Because of an interview yeah. with um, yeah. with uh, the director he was talking about, he said, I just should have made the villain Joker. In yeah, Like, 100%. you can't say that because yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you didn't though, right? Yeah. Which means that you're admitting that it's just not a good movie. But this is, Because the yeah. villain was the biggest issue of the story. It's like, mm. I'm going to set up a crack task force yeah and create the villain of the story and i'm the guy i'm 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 the girl you rescue in the, in the story and i'm really cool and badass and mm. i only show up for like weird 15 20 minutes of the film this is um amanda waller uh, no but also um cara del Delevingne, Delevingne, yeah. Delevingne, yes who yes. reminds me of look, you, you do that action <laughs> no right now is you're doing oh the the, the yeah, arm so wave <laughs> it reminds me of those things that like um Car sales, you know those yes. great things floating. Oh, absolutely, that was that, her inspiration. Now you've said it. Yes, <laughs> I just imagine her going like a like a car sales place She's and just sitting on the floor along. and just watching for inspiration. It, but this is like Suicide Squad. Apparently, was another victim of the terribleness of Batman v Superman mm. because that came out. The, it got panned the Rica, by the critics, know, and then they were like, "Wait, we have to make Suicide funny Squad funnier, up. lighter." Yes. Yeah. And uh, Deadpool. And they had to do reshoots. Mm. They had to cut out all of the apparent misogyny of the Joker and Harley Quinn and cut out Jared Leto's weird method acting. You know, Jar- Jared Leto's Joker was more painful the second round on. <laughs> oh, I was thought... Yeah. How is that possible? I thought the first round, I was like, he could have been great. This guy yeah. had the streak of brilliance on him. Yeah. And then I watched it the second time and I was like, no, it was just bad. Yeah. Well, I think that, let's be honest, you just can't... like. Following on from Heath Ledger, someone had to take the fall. Yeah, and I mean Jared Leto, you got that's to a heck someone, of a fall though. Yeah, you want if to someone's going to take the fall, I'm happy it was Jared yeah, Leto because <laughs> I've got I've got all the time in the world for Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah. he can do anything, and I'm there. Yeah. Um, so you know, in some ways, I'm kind of glad that they cut a whole bunch of stuff of him out. Yeah. I mean, well, he's super upset that you know the mm. way his scenes were treated. Yeah. So okay, let, let's give. The guy, the benefit of the doubt that it might have been okay. And there were particular scenes that I liked the look of. There was a scene when he jumps into the pool of yeah, acid that vet. looked really good. Yeah. Yep. I really like that. And then he starts laughing and I'm like, this is just kind of campy. Yeah. Um, right. And then the yeah. whole hand tattoo yeah. thing, it was yeah. just so over the top edgy. It was like, oh, I'm so I think the only thing that dark. Suicide Squad has like a claim to, although it's won a freaking Oscar, can I say? It won Oscar for like best makeup or something. Oh. Oh, that's horrendous. Uh, uh, but the one claim to fame for Suicide Squad now is the many Harley Quinn cosplays it spawned. Yeah. They're everywhere. True. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm fine that Margot Robbie is going to mm. get her own turn at a movie playing Harley Quinn. Like, yeah. go for it. Apparently with like Poison Ivy and... Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, in apparently in the... Cartoon series Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn have a bit of a romance. Yeah, I'm completely yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. let's do it. Let's let's mm. see that um, on screen. That would be awesome. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, Suicide Squad is horrendous. It's. I mean, the concept of all these things isn't bad. It's just who gets a hold of it and what do they do with it. I yeah. think that's where it uh, where it goes. Like you, know, that sounds really great. Um, in terms of her having her own movie, I think really good. It just depends on if the, where the studio takes it is the question. Yeah. It, it, it's. They need to figure out their tone. Yeah. They need to start. Yeah. 
and be like, okay, what are we actually going for? Are we trying to be Marvel 2.0? Are we trying to be our own thing, right? Coming back to Wonder Woman, I wonder whether it's that creative control question, you know? What if you, I mean, especially especially with Harley Quinn, if if you had a female director take that over, gave her complete creative control, maybe we're going to get a better result than if it goes a different way. Am I incorrect in thinking that Zack Snyder wasn't involved in Wonder Woman? Uh, he was producer, but Patty Jenkins... I mean, there have been stories about Patty Jenkins having to fight to keep certain scenes in Wonder Woman. Like, for instance, No Man's Land scene, they wanted yeah. to cut. Really? Because really, they were like, it doesn't really advance the story in any way. But Patty Jenkins was like, no, we need to keep No Man's Land. And, and everyone agrees that's like one of the most crucial... Not, oh. not storytelling... Mm. scenes but certainly just for gravitas i just feel like Zack snyder is the wrong person to be creatively leading uh, the dc universe i just don't think his style works no Um, you know sorry i just have to say as well i loved the world war one setting of wonder woman oh yeah i just had to mention uh fantastic so good i'd forgotten yeah so (sighs) good partly was like why isn't why isn't it world war two but obviously it's because that's the sort of the turn of the century and everything's changing for man i I thought it was very very clever it's really good Sorry, thank you. There we go. No, no, fantastic. Um, So, yeah, that that sort of wraps up what I've been watching. Uh, One pretty okay movie and one... Yeah, anyway. Well, we kind of hated on um, on, on DC a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we had, the, we had Wonder Woman, so it's, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, yeah Wonder Woman. True. More like Wonder Woman, please. It's more of that, you know... Yeah. I'm just... Stuff. You know, when you said the Harley Quinn movie, I'm just worried. You know, I'm, there is a little know, bit of me that's just like... It still has the feel of... Suicide Squad on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And anything that has the feel of it on the movie is just going to tarnish it for me, I think. Margot Robbie was... I like Margot Robbie. She was good. She was a Harley Quinn, like... Yeah. She was good. And, like, in interviews about the movie, she did speak quite openly about not understanding what Harley Quinn's attraction to the Joker is. Because she says, you know, it's basically just a violent, awful, abusive relationship. And I think if you let Margot Robbie have a bit more say in where the character Mm -hmm. goes in her second movie, and you don't stick the Joker in there because everyone everyone wants to see Harley Quinn and the Joker, weirdly. Mm. Like, she seems to understand that comes from a very unnatural, toxic place. Yeah. And if, if you let a female writer come in and also explore that... Yeah. Not from the not from the point of view of this is a twisted romance. You just mm. say no, it's just twisted. It's not romantic at all. Yeah, yeah. Like it could be great, but I I think it needs to get a woman woman's touch. Yep. Mm. Absolutely. Maybe more than a woman's touch, a woman's like complete authoritarian <laughs> <laughs> authoritarian <laughs> yeah. control. Please, yeah, please. It could be really good. There you go. Mm. Alrighty. Mm. Well, let's move swiftly on to the topic. Let's. Mm. This is quite the segue. Not really. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be talking a little bit about YA fiction, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why I went into that voice. Right. Um, so th- there's a there's been a conversation that's been happening both on the con- uh, on the podcast and just you know around us for quite a while. Hmm. Um, we were at Somerset. We were hearing these talks. I've been hearing about Love um, Oz YA and and this sort of initiative. Hmm. Um, and I did a little bit of research and I was intrigued. I, I was curious about w- what was it all about? And mm-hmm. you had a lot of, uh, very talented writers on board with the initiative. Um, so Danielle, talk to us about what was the birthplace of this really? And well, what's first it all of about? all, thank you for calling it Love Oz YA and not Love Ozia. Uh, <laughs> do people do that? <laughs> do people do that? Love Ozia. That's oh, okay. It started online <laughs> oh, and yeah. I guess if you've never heard yeah. it spoken before love Oz, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, um, it's it's kind of odd because Love Oz YA was born out of a kind of bad situation. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 2015, the Australian Library and Information Association decided to start releasing lists of the top 10 most borrowed books. Mm. And in 2015, they released the list of what was going to be their four categories, which was adult fiction, adult nonfiction, children's and YA. Mm-hmm. And in three categories, in adult fiction, nonfiction and children's, it was an even split of mm. international authors and Australian authors taking out the top 10. In YA, however, there were only two Australian authors and the rest were all American YA books. And they were the American mm. YA books that would not surprise you because they'd all recently been adapted into films and television shows. Right. So it was the Cassandra Clares mm-hmm. before Shadowhunters landed in our, on our TV screens. It was mm-hmm. the John Greens. Yep. Um, it was the Percy Jackson series. Um, I think there was like a, a Maze Runner in there because the second Maze Runner film had just come out. So it was nothing surprising. The mm. only two Australian authors were Ali Marnie, the first book in her every 
yep. uh, trilogy, which is the Melbourne modern adaptation sort of thing of Sherlock Holmes and brilliant. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Susak's The Book Thief, mm. which was probably also on there because The Book Thief yeah. at that point had been a New York Times bestseller for like 182 weeks that <laughs> it had the movie and everything. Yep. Um, but generally that was a pretty poor showing mm-hmm. for Australian YA. And our community's response was a hashtag, mm. Love Oz YA, to just talk about the fact that wasn't this disappointing? And we and these are the Love Oz YA books that we really love. These mm. are the Australian YA books that we really love. And it basically ignited a conversation and a realisation that we have a national youth literature, that we have to rise up mm. and deserves a place on our teens' bookshelves and deserves to be heard. Mm. Uh, and it was just sort of this grassroots movement that took off online. Mm. And, and pretty quickly, uh, HarperCollins in their back room in Sydney somewhere, <laughs> decided that they would pay tribute to Love Oz YA mm-hmm. and they'd like to put together an anthology. And I don't know, through some sort of witchcraft, my name got thrown into <laughs> the into the cauldron and <laughs> the mix and I got a phone Somehow. call mm-hmm. from a publisher called Trend Bing mm-hmm. who said, would you possibly want to head this up? Mm. And it was around that time that we were also officially creating a committee of Love Oz YA Yep. Um, that I was lucky enough to be voted onto and would eventually chair for a year and a bit. Mm. Um, and I, at the same time, agreed to head up this anthology and be editor and contributor. Mm. And and now we have it. And it's called Begin and Begin a Love Oz YA Anthology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's uh, 10 of us, 10 Australian YA authors um, across all genres because part of what we wanted to show was that Love Oz YA is anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And Australian YA stories aren't just set in small coastal towns or the outback. Mm. And they're not all yeah. contemporary. Um, you know, Australian stories are space stories. They're time travel stories. Mm. They are horror stories. Yep. Um, so that's what it was. It was just, you know, a bad situation that became a hashtag, that became a movement and is now a book. Mm. So the the interesting thing that I, I've heard a lot and, and what people have said um, both to me and what I've been reading online is that people often um, make the case that um, it's an uh, fiction limited by a border is is limited in 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 some way, mm-hmm. right? Um, by mm-hmm. determining your limitation, you're determining that you belong in a certain place. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, like okay, if if I'm an American reader and mm-hmm. I'm looking into Australia. Um, I would expect to, you know, find Australian books, right? Um, I wouldn't really expect to find my books in the, you know, the top sellers. Mm -hmm. But isn't that a choice by the readers? Isn't that like something that a reader would say, we read this stuff because it's in popular media? Oh, yeah, of course. But there's a lot of sort of... Um, without even really being conscious of it, a lot of subliminal messaging, I think, that mm. elevates certain titles. And it is things, mm. it's money, especially. Yeah. Yeah. It's the <laughs> fact that, I mean, the story I always go to is at the Independent Publishers Conference one year, um, which is the Small Press Network sort of flagship conference, mm-hmm. um, a publisher or a publicist from a respected Melbourne publisher mm. was talking about a, a trip to Frankfurt where they were trying to sell one of their really um, high-selling children's book series, sure. trying to sell the rights internationally. And one of their pitches was to an international publisher. And we've sold 10,000 copies in Australia. And then the pitch wrapped up. And the person they were sharing the booth with, with was American. And they mm. leaned over at the end and they said, did you just say that you've sold 10,000 copies of this book series? Mm. And the Australian publisher said, yeah, we have. And the American was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Better oh. luck next time. And, and the thing yeah. was, though... You sell 10,000 copies in Australia yeah. and you put that stuff on a book cover, yeah. you know, 10,000 copies sold. Yeah. You sell 10,000 copies in America and you may not get a second book deal. Mm. Like yeah, it's yeah. just that is the difference between Australia and America. Mm. That's what Australian authors are up against mm-hmm. uh, when they're trying to get their books into teenagers' hands. So it's things like, you know, I mean, the, the most recent top 10 list of Alia uh, didn't have any Australian authors in it mm. and it had two Harry Potter books in it. Yeah. Like how does an Australian author compete with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter? Yeah. You know, we were just discussing before as well that it's the 20th anniversary of the Philosopher's Stone so they've bought out eight different editions of yep. the Philosopher's Stone. Yep. <laughs> like how can an Australian author compete with that? It's flooding so, the market in, yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Um, and it's things like Sarah J. Maas mm-hmm. um, and the, the enormity of that series as well yeah. that... Australian publishers cannot even fathom 
the print run that that gets, let alone mm. the sales that that gets, let alone the money changing hands. But in Hollywood, the adaptations mm. of that series that is, I'm sure, are going to come as well because The Hunger Games was adapted too. And, mm. you know, so to Australian teenagers, it's a hard sell of we have a national youth literature and that's important to tell our own stories. And it's important for every country to have a national youth literature that tells mm. their stories. Mm. But it's a hard sell because they just want good stories, right? And all of that messaging that happens behind the scenes, ask them to, talk, to think about what is the, the money that's mm. making you read this book? What are, the, what are the other factors that are pushing you to read this? What are the advertising factors that are pushing you to read this? That's a hard sell for teenagers because at the end of the day, they just want a good story, right? Mm. So it's tough. It is difficult because um, you, you sometimes uh, you don't know how good a story is going to be. Like with, with something like yeah. Harry Potter, you've got uh, everyone else has read it. Yeah. So you, you're becoming a part of this wider community. But then I think it was something which really struck me when we travelled up to, uh, to, to the Somerset uh, Festival Celebration of Literature uh, earlier this year and mm-hmm. got to meet a bunch of Australian uh, YA authors. And I think it just struck me as to the, the quality of people who are writing out there mm-hmm. and what they're writing um, and the fact that there's there is so much great product here but you're yeah. right it is a challenge to get through um the the wall of money that yeah. sits there and get and you know obviously it's kind of like uh, and generates more money yeah, it generates yeah. more money keep building it yeah it's a huge ongoing battle because and then you know harry potter isn't there's a never-ending stream of mm. re-releases which are going to keep coming that's not going to stop anytime yeah. soon you know uh to to keep that train rolling so to actually get past that and i think it's about finding a way to get cut through um and I think part of what's exciting to me is that movements that happen organically are also always the strongest movements. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that comes out of doesn't come from a publisher saying, "You know, I'd love to boost our YA sales of, of Oz." Let's get know. a think tank together. Yeah, yeah. let's get a think yeah. tank together. A few people talk to some. Put youth. some analysts yeah. together. Yeah, some of the youth. Can we just get someone on the street? You know, uh, but actually, talk when to it comes the kids. from yeah, talk yeah. to the kids. But coming from a place where um, where people say, "No, this is important to us," yeah, I think that's the strongest uh, kind of place to start out. Yeah. Because teenagers smell bullshit like, mm. in the biggest way. Yeah. And if and if something's grown organically, that they can actually also tap into us. What we've always tried to do is say this hashtag is for everyone. Mm. Um, it is a teen space. It's an everyone space. And yeah. I think they really appreciate that. But yeah, trying to get through to the sheer... Trying to explain how small a pond Australia is compared to America. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's recently announced that John Green of the Felt and Our Stars fame has a new book coming out this year in October, for instance, um, Turtles All the Way Down, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the init- initial top 10 came out and John Green was on there twice. I think it was uh, Looking for Alaska and Felt and Our Stars was on there twice. Mm-hmm. And to just put it into context, I said, look, John Green's Nerdfighter channel on YouTube gets more viewership than, a th- than the best rated viewed episode of MasterChef yeah, in right. Australia. Yeah. Like that's what we're yeah. dealing with. Like John Green's YouTube channel where he just, it's like a two-minute grab of him answering mm. a question that his brother threw out at him, gets more viewers than the most viewed finale night of MasterChef. Mm. Like that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're up against. And trying to put that into context, just how small Australia is in the mark, in the wider marketplace. It's hard to wrap your head around and sort of depressing, mm. but I don't think it is... Like I just said, like the book mm. thief, Marcus Zusak, mm. broke through. Um, when I started book blogging back in 2009, mm. the the winner of the Michael L. Prince Award, which is like the young adult Oscars version in America, was Melina Maqueda on yeah. Jellicoe Road. Jellicoe Road yeah. in America yeah. won the Michael L. Prince Award. Mm. So it's not impossible. It is mm. rare. And like Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, who you had on this on this podcast yep. as well, the Illuminate series, which has mm. also sold movie rights. So hopefully we get a little bit of that, yeah. you know, bang for their buck and everything like it's not impossible but it is very 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 difficult to get through that wall of the sort of i don't know the infinity ring of of american uh (laughs) you know just pop culture of it feeds itself and it Mm. keeps you know churning out blockbusters um it's it's interesting there's so many questions around that right because when you ask questions about you know the literature we're really asking questions about how are we digesting media how where are we getting our media from yeah. and yeah. what are we being fed and and that is another entirely different thing yeah. that is very integral to this conversation mm. um but focusing it back on on literature for a moment mm. um i'm curious do you think and, and and this may be a cheap way out but international themes or mm. when you mentioned cut through mm. do you think people 
are more likely to uh, identify, and this is a question that we've put mm. to a number of uh, authors, um, to keep their location sort of um, amorphous, I guess, in order to have a broader appeal? Or do you think it's more successful to be very specific so then people have a really clear idea of, of what it is? Or do you think that's just a question that should be asked because it both can work? I think they both can work. Yeah. I mean, like instantly, like I just said, I, I, I reeled off Jellicoe Road, yeah. which is very much set in the Australian outback you know, as, as a mm. small country town. Yet I have heard um, American readers say to Melina that it's weird to hear her read excerpts from her own book because the, mm. the characters are American to them. Yeah. So, yep. so clearly yep. something happens in the editing stage where it becomes Americanized and they stick it in, you know, Carolina or something. Mm. Um, and then Marcus Suzak's The Book Thief, which is very much grounded... Um, World War II history yep. and mm. Germany. Um, and then something like Amy and Jay's Illuminae, which is set in so on other yeah. planets mm. and, yeah, and yeah. spaceships. Um, so I think there's no one right answer, though I do think there is something to be said for, like, I, I mean, the other thing that I grab for is like a book like Puberty Blues that mm, is so yeah, thoroughly Australian yeah. and it's like a little time mm. capsule of a certain time in Australia yep. when Chico rolls were consumed mm. uh, and, and girls <laughs> really had to revolutionise by saying, I'm not going to go fetch my boyfriend a Chico roll. Yes. Like something like that <laughs> is a beautiful little time capsule and has to be granted in Australia. Like you can't set yeah. that in, in California all of a sudden and say mm. that, it, that, it, that the messages transpire perfectly. So I think it works on both levels. Hmm. But I think that there is something quite lovely about a national youth literature acting like a time capsule for the teenagers of that time hmm. and, and you know, sort of preserving, preserving it and observing it. Hmm. Uh, so I think it works for both, though. I'm, I've got a question for you, Ian. In, in this in this mm. regard, you're you're the um you're the unicorn uh, right. in the way that you're a Kiwi. Yes, mm. but mm. still a Kiwi, and yep. yet you have this mm. you know I guess relationship with Australia in the sure. regards of it, your publishing journey and mm. um and where you're writing today, right? And surely yep. that has some sort of impact. Mm. Do you feel like a traitor? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was sorry, that just, I sorry, that that came out of nowhere. Um, anyway, I blacked out. I'm back. Um, anyway, the real the real question, in all in all seriousness, is that do you feel like there is some sort of I don't know obligation to be like, well, I I need to have some. It needs to be grounded in Australia in some right. regard, yeah. right? Uh, like I know it's speculative, but yeah, yeah. maybe my Australian readers would would gravitate to it by having oh. some telling detail that would speak to them. Yeah, I've I've never it was never something that I really considered deeply when I started. Now I always talk about when I started, I just kind of mm. ran full tilt. Yeah, ahead. sure. Mm. So I didn't stop to consider it or any of the politics around this because not, no politics probably isn't the right word. But I'm I'm thinking that uh, it's so important to have uh, our own voices in yeah. Australia mm. and New Zealand as well. And I was I was sitting here thinking actually before you asked me about that about growing up in New Zealand yeah. and Kiwi voices and the you know Harry McClary from Donaldson's Dairy mm-hmm. kind of books that I loved yeah. which yeah. were just New Zealand to the bone yeah. mm-hmm. and I absolutely still adore you know and mm-hmm. and I never really questioned those those were our uh-huh. stories and mm-hmm. we loved them and uh, whether it was Maurice G or uh, Margaret Mayhew or people like that you know we, we just kind of we knew they were ours and that was mm-hmm. it and yeah uh, I think that um, it is important to have any, any story, what people gravitate to is human truth. You know, they, they find <laughs> yeah. if you can get that human truth, people will, will associate to the story. And I think that um, just because you're talking about a small town in Australia, small towns are small towns anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know? yeah. So if you've experienced a small town uh, and someone starts talking about a small town here, they're going to get that yeah. essence of it. it. The nuances maybe, you know, might be specific, but I don't think that we, uh, we should ignore that. So in answer to your question... Do you have to have something local? Well, I mean, in my uh, in my steampunk fantasy, it would be a bit hard to find many of the Australian references. <laughs> um, and in, in other things that I've read, I wouldn't necessarily say there are. I think it just depends on the story. And the key thing is yeah. is not to not to get bogged down in those kind of yep. details, I think, mm-hmm. but to look for the, the humanity that people mm. relate to and the story elements. Yeah. Well, you know what's also interesting, speaking of New Zealand, mm. and, and as you were just saying, this is what we're talking about is an issue that affects a lot of different media. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in Australia right now, the discussion is around streaming. Right. Like Channel yes. 10 Channel Ten is struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our free channels are struggling because streaming like Netflix has come in and Stan yeah. has come in and, and they're all worried. Uh, and what was discussed about 
possibly asking Netflix to adhere to some Australian content creations mm, right. was that currently right now, Australia includes New Zealand content mm-hmm. as part of Australian content. Yeah. It's like, it's a throwback to the Anzacs in a way, oh, which wow. is really yeah. weird. I didn't know that. So oh. we can have like 20 New Zealand shows on our, on our screens right now mm. and it will still count as Australian content. Yeah. So it's quite yeah. interesting the ways that our media and storytelling yeah. is also sort of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of... Australia and New Zealand both struggle with being the sort of colonial outlier of yeah. like UK and US, yep. um, which I think is interesting mm. uh, to go with the whole theme of telling our own stories and the right to, t- to tell our own stories. Yep. And I think both Australia and New Zealand struggle with this idea that the US and UK are still better than us mm. yeah. and to compete with them, we have to mimic them mm. in a way instead of just sort of saying you know, just throwing off the shackles of our colonial past and saying, yeah. which Australia has a real big problem with doing, clearly, mm. uh, but saying we can tell whatever damn story we, we want. Yeah. Hard. I think um, it's curious for me because I'm like, well, if you're the unicorn, then I'm like a bigger <laughs> unicorn in that <laughs> yeah. regard. Come my feet in a lot of a lot yeah. of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, maybe it's just that, you know, inherent bias of being born in New Zealand, being connected mm. to that place in that mm. regard. But... I really don't think it's just that because I think in some way, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because mm. uh, I suppose you've spent more time in, in there, so you, you mm. sort of have a better grasp of the um, of the uh, just the media and the and the culture around that. Mm. Um, but like to me, I and my listeners are going to groan because I'm going to mention Denmark and <laughs> Danish media. Yep, uh, but. <laughs> I think smaller countries yep. in have a very has it has an easier time yeah. of just being like, yep, we can do what we want. Yeah, and I feel like New Zealand got there a lot quicker than Australia is getting there. Yeah, um, I feel like New Zealand has have found its voice. Like I remember, yeah. um, that if there was a singer, mm. we'd all listen to it because it was a Kiwi. Yeah, that's mm. true. That's and true. Yeah. if there was a writer, we'd all know it because mm. he or she was a Kiwi. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was a kind of patriotism around being mm. around our national heroes yeah. Yeah. that I don't think exists in the same way no, in Australia. We have yeah. much more of like a tall poppy syndrome. Mm. And yes. uh, we have this weird, I mean, the other thing that I think New Zealand does really well that I know I've had friends comment on when they've appeared, when they've attended mm. writers festivals over there is how much they pay tribute to their indigenous cultures as well. Yeah, yeah. Something as simple as the haka being like a really big part of any like um, yeah, yeah. sporting event is huge. <laughs> and Australians look at that and say, we don't have that sort of pride in our mm. indigenous cultures for starters. Mm. So straight away from the very onset, we don't know enough about our own history. Mm. We don't accept it enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, Australia has a serious tall poppy syndrome Yeah, uh, that we more gravitate towards as opposed to, as New Zealand, I think, does much better rising up. I think, yeah. I think yeah, you're right about the Indigenous issues. And actually, uh, you, uh, what's one thing that's kind of uh, triggered in my memory is, um, and I think it's a, a story that highlights the importance of, of telling our own stories, mm. was that there were these, um, there was a New Zealand uh, comic strip. And I loved Tintin and Asterix growing up. So when I was about eight or nine, um, I found this New Zealand comic strip that had been written. I think it was called Terry and the Smugglers or something like that. It was... Oh boy, it's, yeah. it's hard. it'll still be out there, I guarantee you. And I remember I absolutely loved it because it was a Kiwi story told in a Kiwi way, um, but it was printed and it looked to me like a Tintin book. And here's me as a, as a child. I absolutely loved it. But it was because there was an understanding of what it is to be a New mm. Zealander. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Australians could tell you what it is to be an Australian. Mm. I mean, that there are, you know, about... Um, what is it that defines? Uh, I can almost. I'm almost a citizen, so I can say us as Australians. Yeah. Soon enough, you know, we'll what, accept it. We'll accept yeah. it. What is it that, uh, that defines the Australian story that you can be you can be proud of, and that you can um, you can say that's it? So mm. I think that there is something about. And for me, as a kid, seeing myself reflected in this book mm. uh, was so important. I think that's that's why coming back to why it's so important to have uh, OzYA is because you need seeing yourself, whether you realise it's happening as a child or not. Yeah. Seeing yourself reflected in a story is so important and that's why we need diversity in fiction but it's also why we need to have Australian people getting the leg up they need to um to tell stories and why uh for to really get political for a minute why we need to protect our local publishing industry from changing copyright laws and all those other kind of deals Mm. I entirely agree and you know I think a really big 
test of us is going to be when Amazon comes. Yes, it's true. Um, particularly for YA, um, mm. especially if you know the mm. sales in Australia yep. right now, for what's really dominating in YA, it's all American. I, I worry what's going to happen when um, teenagers especially have even more access to titles mm. um, that don't necessarily have territory rights over here and they can buy it instantly from America. Like, that worries me. Mm. And I think... Having also, I'm also an ambassador this year for Love Your Bookshop Day, which is happening August 12th. Just want to put it out there. Um, (laughs) But uh, I know that the Australian uh, Booksellers Association were talking recently about what do we do when Amazon comes. Mm. And I think the big takeaway for them was we stress the fact that Amazon is company and supporting local booksellers is community. Mm. And I think that's a really good takeaway for it, for Love Oz YA as well. Mm. Um, And it all links back into Love Oz YA because we are trying to explain to teenagers why they should buy local Mm -hmm. because that puts money back into the local industry that they can then support local authors Mm. um, as opposed to buying on Book Depository and Amazon and everything. It's all linked. Mm. And I think it generally comes back to community. And and that's that's the way Love Oz YA started. It started online with our community. Um, Any... National youth literature, I think anything around teenagers has a stronger community, possibly because they're talking to each other more online, especially. Yep. Um, Love Oz YA started with community, and I think our way forward is to just remind that Love Oz YA is community driven. It's mm. for the community. Um, it's making sure that we are telling our teens stories, but also making sure that we have a platform for them in the future should they want to have an emerging voice as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think there's that what, what you're saying there is so important, thinking about community. Um, and with, with further access to American authors, uh, UK authors, whoever else it might be, um, the thing about Australian authors is they're right here. Yes. And you're going to find them at festivals. You're going to, you know, if you if you love an author, you're going to be able to hear them speak. You're going to be able mm. to ask them questions in person. You'll be able um, to hear them here. Yeah, you'll be able to hear them. Hear them here. Really. <laughs> Can help it. Here. I like that. Oh, <laughs> you're so you're that's so right. And especially mm. in children's proximity yes. is key. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. I I think we will, we will <laughs> yeah. still hear twenty years from now. When you ask somebody, like, who's your favourite author? We mm. will still hear 20 years from now, grown people saying, oh, Andy Griffiths. Yeah, he came yeah. to my school once. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Saw, like, yeah, I met is, him and he talked to me and, that's you know, huge. we talked about yep. his book. And, and I kind of think the key to growing Love Oz YA is to also grow things like our middle grade literature, that it's mm. for 8 to 12 year olds. Mm. It's to get kids hooked on Australian stories early and young mm. so that they grow up meeting authors in person and realizing the power of proximity and then it's an it's then like it's a seamless segue into meeting australia like ya authors Mm -hmm. and then growing up to be somebody who reads adult australian stories as well and seeking those out Mm -hmm. so i think yeah proximity is powerful particularly for kids yeah um it's it's things like getting them in front of andy griffiths and ando and you know Mm. that's that's really key yeah, and I mean, looking, uh, watching authors getting swamped up at Somerset was uh, was actually it was just neat. It was neat, <laughs> heartening, to see. Huge. yeah, just yeah. neat to see people not able to leave the tent because they had to sign a whole bunch of books. Like that was fantastic, and um, and knowing that these people are really passionate about it and that they're going to turn up to these events, they're going to talk to people about writing, yeah. about stories. I think that's that's really important. And as um, Australia matures as a country, just like as New Zealand matures as a country, you're going to get new stories that come out, which is so important, and nurturing that's key. Yeah. I think. Um, I think the it was it was a it was a curious and and um, I'm sorry to bring it down a note because you guys have been positive and I'm like we should just end it here we should just end it here but uplift but, drive us to the dirt yeah Joel. so <laughs> let me just let me just dial this back a bit um, I was at a uh, I was at a very odd screenwriting talk about mm. Australian screenwriting um, and uh, <laughs> it was a very awkward discussion uh, at the panel because the you know there were some uh, uh, panelists um, who were of a certain opinion of Australian mm. cinema that it had to cultivate a very specific mm. kind of mm. cinema. Right. Um, and then there were the others who were, you know, we need to let people have their voice and not try and, you know, prune them yeah. at the vine per se um, and just hope that they'll get arty. Um so you can kind of see where I'm going here, yeah. uh, with, without with trying very desperately not to go there. Um, mm. But it was such an odd discussion that we were having, yeah. where mm. I just I I was looking at the panelists and I was thinking, I I don't know if you're thinking this is the way that we can show the world that we are mature yeah. and mm. that we mm-hmm. are like you. We mm-hmm. can produce great. Um, 
biting commentary and uh, sharp political critique and mm. uh, slice of life stuff. Mm. And, you know, some uh, filmmakers like, yeah, I just want to make a slash film. And, you know, <laughs> it's got a lot of blood in it. And yeah. it's like, no, because right. that's not what we want to do and we don't want Australian cinema to be known for that. Yeah. There's a certain element where I think you get to a stage in the hierarchy where it's just like these are the voices we need to promote mm. and these are the voices that we don't want to embarrass our culture with. Um and it was a weird discussion uh yeah. that I sort of sat silent yeah. for the majority of and I piped up every time somebody mentioned Danish cinema. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, but actually uh, <laughs> um but in the end I, I I, I I was confused because I think yeah. film in Australia right now is in a really weird place. Mm. Very strange place. It definitely is. Um, I think books are a lot more positive in that regard. Yeah. And I think we have a lot more hope um, that yeah. the growth will be faster than I think film is. Um, mm. But I'm just, yeah, I, I really don't want to see publishing to go yeah. in the route of let's do this kind of fiction and let's not do this kind of fiction. Yeah. Mm. Well... Let me try and circle back to positivity then. Go on. Um, Do it. Because I will say, <laughs> history of Australian cinema is fascinating. Uh, basically, okay, so the first ever feature-length film in the world was The Kelly Gang. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it aired right here in Melbourne. A mm-hmm. little bit of pride in that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the early 1910s, uh, we, were, we, were, we had some pretty impressive filmmakers. We had like Lottie Lyell, the McDonough sisters. Um, we were doing really, really well. And then the talkies came in. Uh, and and we got dominated by America, who had the better technology and more money, and they also uh, had the cornerstone of our distribu- of our mm. distribution models. So basically, Australia got edged out of their own film industry. Yeah. And from about 1920 to like 1950 or something, we were producing something like three films a year. Wow. And they were all co-productions with like the UK, and they weren't Australian yeah. stories. Mm. What changed all that was the 1970s. And Gough Whitlam, actually, mm. and uh, another prime minister who I can't remember the name of right now, but they actually decided to invest in the arts. Mm. They decided to start up university studies around cinema and yep. not just script writing, but production design mm. and costuming and mm. lighting design. Like they actually started a culture of the arts and they put money into the arts. And like the 1970s and 80s is where. Australian cinema had kind of its first wave. Mm, it's yep. the Gallipolis. Mm. It's the Pitnicker Hanging Rocks. It's mm-hmm. even like the Mad Max yeah, films. Totally. You know, it's like Breaking Morant. And it's interesting to what to see all those movies and think, hey, that's where Australian identity came from. Mm. That was us actually saying, let's explore World War One and how we got screwed mm-hmm. over by the British. Mm. Let's explore... Um, sort of quaint British white women out in the bush getting terrorised by the elements, you know. Let's explore a dystopic dust bowl that Australia could become, presumably because of climate change. I'm just going to put that out there, maybe. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting to see what happened when we actually invested in ourselves. Mm. What happened when the government invested in our arts Mm -hmm. and they gave us money and they didn't take it away. It's really incredible what can happen. Like, you know, (laughs) and you think about these films as well and you think about like the Jane Campions and everyone, like these Mm. films are classics the world over. Yeah. Like they set a new pace for Australian filmmaking. It wasn't us mimicking US yeah. or UK styles. It was us hmm. doing our own Forging thing. Forging our own identity. Yeah, and yeah. that's very much still what our identity is wrapped up in. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. So it, it, I think if we need to change anything, we need to do it with money. Money mm. makes the world go round, right? Yeah. And we just need a government that backs us. Mm. We, we don't need a government that, that talks about slashing funding to the ABC. Mm. Uh, we don't need a. We don't need commentators who tear down Yasmin Abdel Magid because she dares to have a different opinion to Andrew Bolt. No. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, we don't need. You can edit mm. that out, right? But please, but please don't. We don't need goddamn polls created saying should this Muslim woman leave Australia because she's pisses all off. Like, you know, that doesn't build us up. That tears us down. Uh, I think what we need is money invested in our arts, and you know, like the census poll showed people. People actually interact with Australian culture on the on the regular, and they want more of it. Mm. They don't necessarily realise what they're interacting with yeah. is culture. They want more of it, though. Mm. I just think we need a government. I mean, the fact that in like Victoria, the last person we can reach for who actually invested in the arts was Jeff, was Jeff Kennett, yeah, wow. and like Australia wide was Gough Whitlam, yeah. who last put money into the arts. Mm. Like, I I hope that things like Love Oz Way A 
kind of reach the ears of Malcolm Turnbull or whoever the next Prime Minister, Prime Minister is going to be like in the next three months. Please not Tony <laughs> Abbott. Um, <Hey>. <laughs> I'm going to say like Penny Wong or Tanya Plibersek. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to put that out there and hope that it happens. Like we need, and especially with the onslaught of like what our television, our television channels are going through Channel 10, we can by all, by all means make memes about how funny it is that the Packers are mm. struggling with Channel 10. Mm. But at the end of the day, we do need to invest in ourselves. We need mm-hmm. to back ourselves. We need money. We need a government that realises the value of the arts. Mm. Um, just back ourselves and see what happens. See the, the next wave of, of creationism that comes out of us when you actually invest in your national culture, mm. I think. And if, if, you're, if you listen to this internationally or if you're in Australia, I think uh, if you can just uh, Google the family law um, and <laughs> yes. you'll, you'll find, uh, I think that's a, a great example of right yes. now, uh, a, a very good note to, to, to look at um, mm. where yeah. Australian yeah. story is told. It's a diverse story. It's a, a story of, um, it's both a comedy and, and it's got a lot of drama yeah. to it as ben well. Ben Law is a very talented ben Ben Law, guy. Yeah, if we're going to yeah. do this, let's go full out. Let's say, yeah. go and watch... Ronnie Chang, international student. Go yep. and watch The Family Law. There go and watch go. Clever Man. Yep. Go and watch a show called Glitch. Yes, uh, yep. absolutely. You know what? SBS and ABC is where it's at. Mm. Um, this is Australia now. This mm. is what we're really, truly proud of. Yeah. That's what I want the international stage to see. Um, so go and, yeah, look them up. It's good. See how cool we can be. Fantastic. <laughs> well, that's a great place to wrap up. See, we go back to positivity. On a note of positivity. We got, we got, <laughs> we got there. We got there in the end. Well, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll now go around the board, chairs, yep. and see what people have coming up and where we can follow you. Danielle, I'll start us off. Where can people fi- follow you on social media? And what have you got coming up? Um, so Twitter, I am Danielle underscore Binks, B-I-N-K-S. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, I am just dbinks. Mm-hmm. And then I also have daniellebinks.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my next thing that I've got coming up is I've got a, a few school visits for Love Oz Way A, touring the anthology, Begin and Begin. But from the 9th to the 13th of August, I'm going to be in Broome, mm. WA, for the Corrugated Lions Writers Festival. Ooh. So Fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, and then after that, I think it's like Melbourne Writers Festival, mm-hmm. which we're all really, really, really excited for. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Fantastic. Ian? Yes, so you can find me at uh, on Twitter at IHLaking or at IHLaking.com. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's just IHLaking.com. It's just IHLaking. <laughs> <not yet. laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Anyway, that's good. Um, yeah, so follow along. I'm doing a fair bit of blogging at the moment, um, and you can follow my editing journey, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I'll be on Twitter all the time. And sign up to his newsletter. Sign up to my newsletter. Let's do it. Let's yeah. make this thing happen. Let's make it happen. I've, I've sent one out. It was great. It was good. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm so glad you did, Joel. It was great. Thank you. It was fantastic. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I had much enjoyment. I loved it. <laughs> and it wasn't too long. Beep boop. <laughs> It was a great read, beep boop. Um, well, if you want more robotic content, you can follow The Morning Bell at the underscore Morning Bell on Twitter, themorningbell.com.au on our website. We have a bunch of content coming up. We just, um, well, on this day, but it'll be two weeks <laughs> from now, behind. Uh, wow. Um, we just launched our last um, uh, interview from the Somerset Celebration of Literature. Um, with Andrea Lewis, mm-hmm. the fantastic coordinator for the festival, and she does a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And listen to that if you want some um, backward workings of mm. see how all the gears turn uh, behind a festival, and uh, it's it's great stuff. We have a special piece of the Somerset coming towards the end of the year, but that takes a lot of editing, so it's going to take us a while, and we'll probably release that as a Christmas special. Um, but, oh, God, don't mention Christmas now. Are you kidding me? Oh, wow. I know. I know. Christmas special. Whoa. It takes a while to get things You're done like over Dr. here. Who as well. I know. Wait for the Christmas special. <laughs> um, you can also catch up on an interview that I did this morning at 7 a.m. I was up bright and early, and we did a very interesting chat with a game writer and designer um, from uh, the West Coast uh, of America, of the U.S. of A., uh, talking about game design and about writing for interactive fiction. And that was a really interesting discussion. Um, and his name is John Harper. And uh, that episode should uh, be up in a couple of weeks. So look out for that. We will be back in two weeks, bringing you some new interviews and podcasts. We hope that you can find us there. See you later. <laughs>